0: If you're looking for an international school that provides quality American education at an affordable price for your child, well, Excel American Academy could be just what you're looking for. This school follows the American curriculum that's aligned with Aero Guidelines and U.S. Common Core standards. It also has a unique Pioneer Town program, an experiential learning program that gives students hands-on and real-world experience. Excel American Academy is not just for U.S. citizens, it's for everyone. Visit xaa.edu.sg to find out more. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Growing Pains podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia. This podcast will delve into the deeper challenges of modern parenting and provide a safe space for parents to unravel and detangle the messy and sometimes scary world of modern parenting. My name is Ange. I'm an Aussie expat who has called Singapore home for the last nine years. I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier, who is 11, and Marcel, who is nine. In this episode of the Growing Pains podcast, we're talking to Clement Tan, spokesperson for Pink.sg. We want to learn more about the LGBTQ plus community in Singapore and how to ally with them. Enjoy. Hello, Clement. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. First up, it would be great to know a little bit about you.
1: Sure. Thank you, Ange. Thank you for having me. So I am one of the organising committee members as well as spokespersons for Dot in Singapore. And for those of you who might not know, Dot is a social movement here that advocates for LGBTQ equality. We believe that a more diverse and inclusive Singapore is one that really embraces LGBTQ Singaporeans and, you know, helps them build a sense of belonging to the place that they call home. You know, unfortunately, uh, Singapore is still quite behind uh, in a lot of advancements that we would like to see to make LGBTQ people be equal citizens here. Like, just for context, you know, it was only last year, in the year 2022, that we finally got rid of uh, Section 377A, which is a law that criminalizes uh, homosexuality in Singapore. It was many, many years of campaigning, which Ping Dot was also involved in, and that was a significant victory for us, but it's really only the first step in a lot more hurdles of discrimination that the community still has to overcome.
0: Mm. So perhaps if you could explain for our listeners the latest definition of the term LGBTQ+.
1: Sure. So LGBTQ stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender. Traditionally, it's always been LGBT. We've added on the Q to stand for questioning or queer. We've also added the plus. Uh, Sometimes you also see it as LGBTQIA+. I being intersex, A for asexual. It keeps changing and evolving, I think, because for people in the margins, I think sometimes labels can be helpful. It helps people feel represented and seen. But by no means is it exhaustive. The the, the umbrella term will keep changing and evolving to include more people over time. But I think as long as we remember that we approach these terms just as they are. They're just labels. I think it's important to focus on the people and not so much the labels and identities that we ascribe to them. It is intimidating sometimes for people to feel when they enter into the conversation to always get it right. But I think as long as you approach it in good faith, LGBT is fine, queer community is fine. If I say gay community or gay people, and I'm referring to everyone in an inclusive way, that's also fine.
0: What is the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity?
1: Yeah, sure. So as an acronyms that I've mentioned, lesbian, gay, bisexual, they refer to sexual orientation. And that's really who you're attracted to, who you love. Uh, gender identity, uh, you know, if you're transgender, for example, it's about who you are inside. So I think that's sort of the easiest way to sort of break it down.
0: And what are pronouns and how important are they?
1: Sure, I think... I think we all know what pronouns are. Maybe we just don't refer to them as such, you know, he, him, she, her, they, them. I think they've become a little bit more in fashion now. Uh, We are a little bit more mindful about how we use them, especially to accommodate people whose gender identities do not reflect what's been assigned to them at birth. Um, Like for example, I'm cisgender male, so I would use he, him pronouns. Mm -hmm. As for how important they are, I think they are important, but they're also not important at the same time. And what I mean by that really is that like, to me, because I move through the world feeling male and masculine and society reflects, back, reflects that back to me. Mm-hmm. So because of that, the pronouns I use that, and the pronouns that society uses, there's no disconnect. I don't think about it. So because of that, it's not a big deal to me. But for people who are transgender, I think that's really not the case, especially when they grow up and you don't feel like who they are meant to be in their own skin. Pronouns are such a small accommodation that means the world to them and it's really from that perspective that they are important. Um, and if it really is just a minor inconvenience to you, um, it's a very small thing you can change to be more conscious about that can make a really big impact.
0: And how about, so in this day and age... Do you believe that coming out is still relevant?
1: Yeah. So I think what you're referring to is that nowadays we have a lot more LGBTQ representation. I think there are a lot more kids that are also coming out younger and younger. So the question on whether it's like such a big deal, like it's such a topic of conversation. Now, this is just my personal take on it. I think it's still important. And it will always be important as long as LGBTQ people are the minority, as long as we're constantly on the margins of society, as long as we grew up in a world where discrimination still exists, whether it's legal or social, where it's hard to be queer, where it's challenging to be LGBTQ, coming out is not only just meaningful, it's actually necessary. Oftentimes, for example, unless I specifically mentioned that I'm gay, people wouldn't know at first blush. And for me, it's important because like, the term coming out if you're not familiar with it, refers to the act of someone who is LGBTQ sharing their sexual orientation or gender identity with the people around them. Oftentimes, the term coming out evokes the sense of moving out of the shadows, away from secrecy, away from shame and guilt, and stepping out into the light. Now, that's very beautiful in many ways, but over time, when I think about the term coming out, to me, it actually is something we need to challenge a bit. I actually think we should stop maybe calling it coming out and it's more about letting in. The act of coming out is me letting people who I care about into my life. I'm inviting someone to get to know the real, authentic and honest version of myself. And if we believe that relationships are grounded in honesty and authenticity, then yes, coming out or letting in is so important.
0: Mm. I love the term letting in. I think it really brings a positive kind of emotion to it but also in terms of letting in your family and friends and allowing them to embrace and be a part of understanding who the person really is you know I think that's wonderful so then how about us parents how do we play a part when a child comes out to us
1: yeah so the act of letting in is so intensely vulnerable Mm -hmm. Right? You kind of have to let down your guard. You have to show who you are. And that moment itself can be built up in your head if you've never come out to anyone before as such a big deal. So my coming out story was particularly challenging. Like I knew that I was gay at a fairly young age. I could feel that I was different um, as, as young as when I was like six or seven. I could probably only put a, a name to it. You know, when I found out about the gay community when I was a little bit older, maybe around 12 or 13, once I hit puberty. And I only came out to my first friend when I was 16 or 17. And I didn't come out to my parents until a little bit later on in life, around 20 or 21. My coming out story with my parents was very emotional. In my head, I had built it up to be such a big deal because parents are meant to make you feel safe. They're meant to show unconditional love. But my parents also grew up in a time in Singapore in a generation where exposure to the LGBTQ community wasn't positive. They knew very little about um, who they were, who we are. They knew very little about the issues that the community faced. Mm -hmm. So in their head, they had so many myths and misinformation swirling around it that when I came out to them, they reacted very negatively. And it's taken a long time for us to sort of move beyond that, that space. But that moment when I came out to my parents, I think it was kind of life-changing for both of us. It signaled, I guess, a new chapter. I tried to be as authentic as I could with them, uh, hoping to sort of foster a better relationship with them.
0: And then, so what should we as parents do differently if we're... So if a child comes out to you, what would make that experience a positive one for the child? Well...
1: I can only talk about it from the perspective of what I wish my parents had known in that moment, which I can't go back in time and change, right? But also what I had known about it in the moment. What I realized that my parents did love me, they do love me, but they found it very difficult to demonstrate it in that moment because what really they were feeling was fear. I think they were very afraid um, because it was the unknown. They had all these narratives about being gay in Singapore, being incredibly difficult, incredibly lonely. I had only ever seen my dad cry twice in my life, and the first time I saw him cry was when I came out to him. I had to understand later on that a lot of ways he was grieving and mourning the life that he had envisaged for me. I think all parents want their kids to grow up healthy, happy. They want them to grow up to have a life that's easier than what they had. And from everything that they read about the gay community in media, because of all the censorship for LGBTQ representation here in Singapore, they had all these misconceptions about gay people being perverts, being pedophiles, being sexual deviants. They also had this idea that it was a phase, that I could change. My parents, you know, wanted me to see a mental health professional because they thought that I needed that so that I could snap out of it. So I I kind of don't want to say, like, (laughs) parents can do better by not doing that. (laughs) Because that sounds so judgmental to what my parents were going through. If anyone is listening to this, I would say that, like, actually those feelings are perfectly valid in the sense where I can really empathize with my parents because that is the environment that they grew up in. And I guess there was nothing really I could have prepared them even as a child for that moment.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's just a whole different time in history and completely. It was it's all built on fear as you say because they had no they probably didn't know anyone that was gay so to them it was something that yeah
1: absolutely and i i would say that with time they did all of that education that i wish they had done before but mm. but it just had ha- had to happen in reverse right they didn't have to read up about the lgbtq community because it never really hit home and was never personal to them but after i came out I think then it became a decade-long journey of us growing together and finding out more about me and the person I love and the life I lead. And now, obviously, with my involvement with Pink Dot, it's very public, mm-hmm. um, and they've also had to sort of reconcile that and understand that as well. My mum uh, actually attended Pink Dot twice, so like she, she had come a very long way from when I first came out to them more than a decade ago.
0: That's wonderful, Clement. Yeah. So what if a child tells their parents they are transgender? What should parents do to help and support their trans kids?
1: Yeah, I think coming out as trans is particularly hard as well. Unfortunately, with a lot of um, advancement and LGBTQ awareness, um, the trans community has been left behind a little bit and there's a lot more education that needs to happen. Trans kids are also in a particularly precarious and vulnerable stage in their life. Mm. The trans community, especially trans youths, uh, face a lot more mental health struggles. They're at higher risks of self-harm and suicide. And schools in particular, especially if you look at schools in social environments where discrimination is still alive and well. So let's use Singapore, for example. Public schools here are incredibly ill-equipped. Now, I think what parents can do is what all parents do which is to show unconditional love to the kids, stand by them, make all the necessary accommodations, simple things like helping your trans kid find the right gender expression for themselves, using the right pronouns. Um, And unfortunately, I think parents have to be that layer of protection and advocate for how kids navigate school institutions, which can be sometimes heavily gendered, and they do a lot of the policing of gender expression Um, So parents kind of have to stand by them and do a lot of that kind of work along their kid.
0: You're listening to the Honey Kids podcast, Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Neo. One of the main purposes of education is to equip our children for the future. And this is something that Excel World Academy strongly believes in. This IB school has everything your child needs to succeed, from a world-class curriculum, highly experienced teachers, to a future-oriented approach to education. All these, coupled with a diverse and tight-knit school community, equips your child with the skills and exposure essential for the jobs of tomorrow. So check out Excel World Academy, the School of the Future, at xwa.edu.sg today. How should people respond when someone tells them their sexual orientation or gender identity?
1: Oh yeah, this is a good one because... I've only ever done the coming out, (laughs) but when people come out to me as well, I would like to think that the the best way, and this is just like a personal style, is to mirror the other side. So if the other person is coming to you and it's like a big deal, you know, they've got the secret that they kept for a very long time and they've built it up in their head and they have something to share, I respond with that same level of gravity. I thank them for telling me. I acknowledge how much of a relief it must be for them to get it off their chest. And then vice versa, if someone comes along and they kind of do it in a very blase kind of way. Then I do the same thing. I think what you're trying to do is to make sure that that person realizes that they're accepted, they belong, that they're loved, that the relationship is all good. But you're, you're also not blowing out of proportion if that person wants to sort of like not make it bigger than it is. But for someone who walks in and they feel like it's a very big part of the relationship, you also want to you know, give it its due attention.
0: Yeah, that's right because you don't want to make a big deal if it's the person is trying to be kind of laconic and low key about it, but at the same time if someone if it is such a big deal and you go, "Oh yeah, I knew," or I, I assume assumed that would diminish how they feel because they're like, "Hang on, this is one of the biggest things I'm ever going to tell you in my life, if not the biggest thing." And you're just saying, "Oh, I knew." oh, okay, sure, you, you know, they want you to mark that occasion. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my, my kids know all about the gay community and we've kind of talked about these things from very early age. So to me, I feel like at any age you should talk to your children about a community that is very much a part of our community. But do you believe that there's a particular age where we should talk to our kids about the LGBTQ plus community?
1: All ages. (laughs) I don't think kids can be too young for that topic, especially since, well, number one, the queer community is all around us. And even as kids, they're going to interact with queer friends, queer teachers, queer classmates... You know, and, family and members. with family members, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Gay uncles, lesbian aunts. So already they're interacting with them. And as kids are, they're in- interacting with them as human beings. They don't need to get into the politics of all of it. That's not to say, for example, that it isn't age appropriate content that all parents should sort of be mindful of. But that's very different. Like, I think sex and sexuality are two very different things. Mm-hmm. And I think there are also very age appropriate ways to explain to them uh, the LGBTQ community. You know, it's about who you love, it's about who you are. Sex doesn't have to enter into the picture. So there really isn't an excuse, I think, to shield um, children away from these topics.
0: And I also think the younger you talk to them or the more you talk to them, it more normalises the fact that, that this is normal. Whereas if it's something that is never spoken of until they're much older, then it would probably seem like, oh, well, why is mum suddenly bringing this up now instead of it just being part of the conversation? I remember when gay marriage was legalised in Australia and I'd had in my head how I was going to explain that to Xavier, who I believe was maybe four or five at the time and i had it all built up that i was going to explain what it was and i and in the end i just i explained it to him i said oh yeah so in australia they've just brought in this law it's really great cuz it means some of my friends can now get married and it means that boys can marry boys and girls can marry girls and he's like okay <laughs> yeah you should be able to marry who you love mummy and i was like oh my gosh kids get it like uh, you know, I had, obviously I get it, but I had built it up in my head to be this big conversation, which he was just, as a child with the innocence, is just like, well, of course, like, he hasn't got anything else in his head apart from what's rational, which is, of course, people, if they love each other, should be able to to represent that.
1: Yeah, the kids are all right, really. Um, and if anything, like what I've observed in Singapore, especially after repeals, that actually... The younger generation here at Singapore, actually see it as overdue, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. And in terms of articulating the experiences of discrimination and being very aware of the issues um, that LGBTQ people here face, like the younger generation actually know it very well. They've had a lot of friends come out to them in schools, which, you know, for me, I didn't come out until I was much older. And when I check in with my peers who are in the generation above, like most of them didn't come out until they were young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, So really, I think that the younger generation are sometimes even more clued up uh, about the terminology, about what's happening around the world and even their parents. So this is really interesting intergenerational disconnect. Um, Parents are kind of finding it really hard to have these conversations, but these conversations are necessary because, you know, for example, um, my parents found it really hard when I came out to them to have that conversation with me because they never had to read up. They didn't know anything about it. So by the time I came out to them, they were always a little bit behind. And if you are, I guess, listening in, you might be thinking, hang on, maybe my kid might come out as queer one day. A lot of the thing that you can do to make that less emotionally challenging or making it um, so vulnerable for a child is to actually lay the groundwork and letting them know that these issues are not taboo, um, letting them know that if they ever come out as queer... They would be welcomed and loved and embraced unconditionally. And even if you don't think your child is going to be LGBTQ, these are people who are going to grow up and enter society. And they are going to be friends, family members, co-workers, you know, employees of LGBTQ people. And I think these are important values you want to instill in that generation, right? To be loving, to be embracing, to to be welcoming, to really think of the next generation as like they are going to inherit a world that hopefully is going to be more diverse, more inclusive.
0: What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about the community?
1: Yeah, so censorship in Singapore doesn't really help. Um, I think, as I mentioned before, like my parents, their diet of mainstream media in Singapore would have left them the impression of a gay person here being a pedophile or a pervert. Uh, Storylines here in Singapore um, can't show positive portrayals of gay people. So there are no role models, really, When for me when I was growing up. Oftentimes, when they, you know, showcase the gay person or gay character in a story, that character would die a very tragic death, or they would have this pivotal moment where they changed and they became straight. So that's the kind of storylines that my parents were immersed in. So when I came out to them, you know, their heart broke because that's what they felt was going to be the truth. So I would say that these misconceptions create an environment where people run away with the idea that, We're less equal, less human, or the idea that we can change, for example, also fuels a lot of conversations around conversion therapy. Um, Parents who are heartbroken about kids coming out are desperate for a solution, a quick fix, and they send them off to really horrible experiences uh, that actually cause long-lasting trauma. But I think more importantly also, these misconceptions, if they're left unchallenged, also create a very hostile rhetoric that can be weaponized by certain groups here in Singapore that are, you know, very staunchly anti-LGBT, but they kind of have wisened up over the years and have cloaked it under different kinds of conversations. So in Singapore, there's this recent campaigning for family values. And really what they're trying to say is that LGBTQ people uh, versus conservative family values completely, you know, sidestepping the fact that LGBTQ people have families too. You know, I have parents, I have siblings. This idea that we are here to disrupt the family unit is, is very concerning and it's something that we keep running up against.
0: How can society be better allies to the community?
1: So we've just had repeal, which was a big deal for us. And now our attention is going to focus more on discrimination that the LGBTQ community faces at homes, in workplaces, in schools. So at home, you know, parents that stand by LGBTQ kids, you know, that's a huge win. Uh, And the more we can sort of, like, push this message to parents that there's nothing wrong with being gay, that, yes, there are challenges in life, but, uh, you know, you need to hold on to your kids, you need to make them feel loved, you need to help them grapple with the mental anxieties and stresses of being in a minority group. But at some point, I guess, like, kids can't stay at home forever, you know, kids actually interact all the time with schools. They eventually will be entering the workforce. I think parents can and should do more, especially for discrimination faced at school. One of the things that isn't really talked about enough is how schools are really ill-equipped to deal with LGBTQ kids. Kids are coming out younger and younger these days. They are in a world where they surround themselves with online media where it's kind of normalized. But then reality bites when they do come out in schools and they face bullying, they face harassment, sometimes not just from their peers, but sometimes from teachers themselves. At least here in public schools here in Singapore, um, the Ministry of Education's guidelines on bullying do not specifically mention anything LGBTQ. So a kid could be bullied for being gay in school and the guidelines are so ambiguous that teachers don't really know how to address it because they're also getting mixed messages by being told by the ministry not to talk about LGBTQ issues in a way that valorizes it, glamorizes it, or present it in a way that's positive. And if you can imagine from the perspective of a teacher, like if a kid is being bullied for being gay, yet at the same time I can't tell them that being gay is okay, it's impossible to deal with it. So teachers then sort of like put their hands up and say like, I don't really want to touch this, or I can't touch this, or I don't know how to do it. None of them have gotten training to be inclusive in an LGBTQ context. We had a recent incident, I think, last year as well, where there was a pretty prestigious school in Singapore, and this is junior college, so they would have been 16, 17. And they had a school counselor get up on stage, completely spouting a lot of false facts about the LGBT community, saying things like, oh, 60% of them have intestinal worms, or completely just, like, horrendous, offensive things. And I think what was very telling about the incident is that the only reason why it came to light is because the kids were in the audience listening to it actually took a video, and took pictures of the slides that were on the screen and actually shared them on social media. So they had the knowledge and wherewithal to be like, yeah, this is not okay. But that school counselor probably had been delivering that same presentation for years and years and years and no one said anything about it. Now, LGBTQ organizations in Singapore have done, I think, a pretty good job at intervening with kids that are really in very vulnerable and precarious states. A lot of them, you know, call out counseling hotlines, you know, suicide hotlines, and we meet them at a stage where they're at the most vulnerable and sometimes the parents are not accepting or they're in hostile home environments, that's where they are. But LGBTQ organizations have been campaigning also for real change to happen in schools, but they often fall on deaf ears. And I think the reason why is because schools here, I think, are very defensive. And I think when there's an LGBTQ organization that says you need to do better, they find it really easy to say, well, that's your perspective, but at the same time, I can't do anything because parents are not accepting. You know, if I, if I wanted to talk about LGBTQ issues, you know, you would have parents up in arms. They're so terrified of that environment that inaction for them is like the path of least resistance. So for me, kids can complain all they want, but I think they also know how powerless they are, especially if they're queer kids facing bullying and harassment in schools, and if teachers are not doing anything about it, like that sense of trust is completely broken. They often suffer in silence. So actually, parents can do a lot more. I think it would be really meaningful for parents to be the ones to advocate for kids, not only just their own, but LGBTQ kids, and say, sex education in the school really sucks, or saying, I don't know what you're doing hiring uh, homophobic teachers, especially teachers in positions of power, or especially if they're counselors, so, you know, the people who you're meant to go to with all of your vulnerability is the one that's actually weaponizing it against you and making your life a lot harder. Mm-hmm. We've heard so many horror stories of the years, right? You know, teachers sort of like outing kids who aren't ready yet to parents. Um, we've heard stories of how teachers and administrators back when 377A was still in the books, like actually getting the police involved if they found out that kids were in same-sex relationships. Obviously not doing the same thing if they weren't in same-sex relationships. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: that is an area in Singapore that needs a lot of attention.
0: And so what's next for the queer community in Singapore now that Section 377A is officially repealed?
1: Well, repeal means a lot to us. It's something that we work so hard for because we want the next generation to grow up in a world where they don't feel like they're criminals. And that's a sensation that I am, I'm very familiar with. You know, I was in junior college when repeal was first debated in 2007. I can remember the awful things that were said about me um, when I was a kid. So that's something that we've pushed strongly for. And hopefully no one else has to feel that way. And the next generation can grow up having their lives a lot easier. And I think all parents can sort of understand and relate to that. So, really, what's next for us, I think, is reminding LGBTQ people here that there's still a lot more to do, a lot more ways to go. Discrimination in schools is a big area of attention for us. And I think as I mentioned before, like running up against this rhetoric of anti-family values is something that we really want to dismantle over time. And the only way you can really do that is to have more conversations. You know, the younger generation and kids already know. Like they know that being gay is okay, like most of them do. Now it's actually about like having that conversation with people in power can really make a difference. There's actually a really big responsibility, I think, in terms of like championing and advocating for kids.
0: Clement, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your personal story and we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Clement, for our chat today. I am now joined by our podcast producer, Suf, to chat a little about today's episode. Hey, Suf. Hi. So, what have you learnt from today's episode?
2: Mm, This is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. And um, it's great to have someone from an organization to talk about this because it's something that I think a lot of people think they know, but to get more information from someone who is in the community is always very useful. I like the part where Clement says that it's not about coming out, but it's letting people in because coming out means that you have to do it to every single person over and over again. But letting in means that you feel that person is worthy enough, trustworthy enough for you to let that person into your inner circle. And I like that. That's a very good analogy. And on top of that also, I feel that even though I've known and learned a lot about the LGBTQ community in the many years that I've been around, I think that it's always good to relearn and learn new things about them because it's always evolving, right, you know? Especially after the repeal and then we were talking about how to go about moving forward. So it's a good episode. I'm very happy. So Andrew' we were talking about letting people in. What would you do if one of your kids comes out to you and let you in that they are, you know, queer.
0: It's funny, when Clement was talking about letting in, he was also talking about mirroring their response. So I mean, firstly, I'd just embrace my child and be so grateful that they would share who they are with me. But I also think I would mirror their behaviour. So if there was a big deal made of it, then I would emulate that. And if it was something where it was much more nonchalant and Oh, I'm just letting you know this, then I'd mirror that behaviour as well. But I think just making sure that they know that it's always a safe space with me to be able to talk about anything to do with who they are.
2: I think that's the most important thing, to have that space, safe space with your kids because you mean the world to them and likewise they mean the world to you. So to be able to uh, let you in on something that is very personal to them and you being okay with it, I think it's a wonderful thing. And also, I guess that, you know, maybe sometimes parents don't get it or they're very resistant, but after a while, they will eventually come around. Kids just need to give their parents time just as much as when parents give their kids time to adjust to certain things. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you, Suv. Thank you. And we will see you next time.